0: When I was a student in Bible College, Dr. Earl Rodmacher, who was the president of Western Theological Seminary, was invited to come to our school in Chicago and speak on the subject of the Holy Spirit. The vice president at our school, who invited him to come, said to Dr. Rodmacher over the phone, Do not be controversial. In his first message to us, as Dr. Rodmacher spoke in the chapel at Moody Bible Institute, he relayed this conversation that took place over the phone. And then he said, the Holy Spirit is the most controversial subject in the church today. He said it is not possible to speak on the subject of the Holy Spirit without being controversial. I have a pastor acquaintance I used to interact with uh, on an occasional basis. And uh, in his conversation, he would regularly refer to having Holy Ghost goosebumps. bumps. Now, um, I have to say, I, I like this man. I do not want to or would never desire or would never try to embarrass him in any way. But I have to be very frank and say, I've never heard of such a thing. What are Holy Ghost goosebumps? And where does the Bible talk like that? Now, I've had goosebumps many times. In fact, I've had goosebumps even in the church on on occasion. But I've never associated them with the Holy Spirit. And I have to ask... Is that what the Holy Spirit was sent for? To cause us to feel goosebumpy all over. Now, that kind of confusion is exactly what Dr. Rodmacher was talking about regarding the Holy Spirit. In his classic book entitled Knowing God, J.I. Packer had this to say. Many Christians have no positive ideas of any sort about what the Holy Spirit does. That's why it shouldn't surprise us when we come to Jesus' last will and testament in the Upper Room Discourse that we would find him instructing the disciples about the Holy Spirit. There are five passages in John 14, 15, and 16 about the Holy Spirit. Five passages. This morning, we are coming to the very first one in John 14, verses 15 to 24. And these texts in the Upper Room Discourse, what we are calling the Last Supper series are some of the most important teaching in the whole Bible on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John 14. And as you turn there this morning, I want you to notice the structure of the passage that we're going to begin to look at this morning. In verses 15 through 17, what Jesus teaches us is the purpose for the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, in verses 18 to 24, he tells us some details about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'd like to read for you the first section, which is where we're going to spend all of our time this morning. And then on a subsequent Sunday, we will look at the second part. Uh, We will just reference the second part uh, a little bit in the sermon today. But I invite you to take your Bibles and open with me to these very, very critical words for our life as believers and our understanding of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Now notice the things that He will do. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you, says Jesus. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not the one named Iscariot, this is probably Judas also known as Thaddeus, Gracious Lord, thank you today for this wonderful and powerful and insightful teaching about our Lord. Thank you for all that we have in the amazing gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, what a sad thing it is that the gift of the Spirit that you have given that should unite us And bring incredible joy and blessing to our lives and our ministries and our churches. has sadly become a topic of controversy and division. And we pray today that as always we would allow your word, the only infallible source of truth, to guide us. So that we might understand this blessed third member of the triune God and his great and powerful ministry in the life of all who have come to know Jesus by faith. We now submit our hearts and our minds to you today. Teach us, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit who is present. May we grasp the things that you have for us and then live in this world in the way you would want us. We ask it now in Jesus' wonderful name. Notice there's a very simple answer that Jesus gives us to this question, why was the Holy Spirit sent? The answer is very, very simple. The Holy Spirit is given so that we might love and obey Jesus. It is very wonderful that as Jesus begins in these five passages to talk about the ministry of the Spirit of God, that this is where he begins. In verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this is the first time in the Gospel of John where our love for Jesus is spoken of. It is the central concern in Christian living. Christian living, if we boil it down, is all about loving Jesus. And then as a result of loving Jesus... Obeying or keeping his commandments. If you were watching carefully as we read this passage, you will notice this is the central thought in verses 15 to 24. Uh, three times it is in the positive. Uh, drop down to verse 21 for the second time. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Uh, notice a third time in the positive in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And then notice uh, a fourth time, this time in the negative, verse 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So this is the central thought of this entire passage. Now, as we think about this, it becomes obvious that this is simply another way of stating the great commandment. You remember a a lawyer, a a Pharisee, someone trained in the Old Testament came to Jesus and said to him, uh, Master, uh, Savior, uh, Rabbi, said to him, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, here's the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your soul, and all your mind. And then he said, a second is like it, you shall not love your neighbor as yourself. So really what Jesus is doing here is he is restating the greatest commandment. This is why God has sent Jesus to save us, that we may love him and then that we may obey him. Now, clearly this is something that we cannot do on our own. I was reading one Bible teacher who said, as he thought about this, We need a resource of divine proportions. A resource of divine proportions if we are going to love and obey Jesus in the way that He is calling us to. Uh, Every now and then in your Christian life, you will hear statements that are so startling and arrestive to you that you never forget them. You don't have to go back and read them. You don't have to listen to the sermon all over again. You hear the statement... And it is so arresting that it just drills itself in your mind. Let me give you two of them. Here's the first one The Christian life is not hard, it's impossible. I've never forgotten that. Pastor Charles Stanley had this to say Jesus calls us to do the impossible. It's not merely difficult, it is not simply a struggle. It's not just hard, it is impossible. Here's the second statement that is startling that I've never forgotten. The only person who has ever lived the Christian life is Jesus Christ. No one else has ever lived it. You see, we can't do it, only He can. And so he has to live the Christian life in us if we are going to live it at all. But Jesus has returned to heaven. That's what he has been teaching his disciples. And therefore, we need someone like him to enable us so that we might live the Christian life by loving him and obeying him. And so Jesus says, I have made a request of the Father. I have asked him to give the Holy Spirit to every believer. That's why the connection here between loving him and obeying his commandments, and then in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Now let's spend some time together looking at what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. As we continue on in what he says, we learn some very basic and yet foundational truths about the Holy Spirit that are essential for our Christian experience. Let's look at them together in this message. First of all, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. You will notice three times in verse 17, he is referred to as him. One time, uh, he is referred to in verse 17 as he. That's very critical for us. When the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door and they knock on the door, and they say that the Holy Spirit is a power or a force, they are wrong. They are absolutely wrong. The Holy Spirit is not like in Star Wars. The force be with you. Okay? That's not what this is like. Our relationship to the Holy Spirit is not whoever is skillful enough to harness him or to manipulate the force will somehow be successful in living the Christian life. What we must understand is the Christian life is a personal relationship. It is relating to a person. Did you notice Jesus says to the disciples in the end of verse 17, you know him, you know him. And he's talking there about an experiential knowledge of another person. That is so very, very important for us. You see, relating to the Holy Spirit is learning to understand His will. It is learning to know the direction that the Holy Spirit is leading. It is learning to accept His leadership in our life and submitting to His purposes and His control. That's what relating to the Spirit is all about. Let me read for you again from Charles Stanley in his wonderful book, Uh, The Wonderful Holy Holy Spirit-Filled Life. Listen to what he says. He says, Surrender is essential because the Spirit-filled life is a relationship. It is not a military mission where we are handed an assignment and expected to carry it out. The spirit filled life is a moment by moment relationship characterized by dependency on the Holy Spirit. And surrender is the foundation upon which that unique relationship is built and maintained. That is absolutely right. We don't surrender to an impersonal force but an intelligent and loving person, the Holy Spirit. Notice the second truth. The second truth Jesus gives to us is the Holy Spirit is a divine person. He is God himself. Now when Jesus says, I'm going to send you another helper he uses some very significant terms. The word helper in verse 16 is the Greek word paraclete. Paraclete. It is only used of one other person in the entire New Testament. Let me ask you to keep your finger here and turn with me to First John chapter 2 and verse 1. This word paraclete is only used of one other person the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice this in 1 John 2 and verse 1. And listen to what the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, says now in 1 John. My little children, he writes, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have... An advocate. It is the Greek word, paraclete, with the Father. Now notice the identification of this paraclete. It is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now notice what John is telling us. Here the word paraclete refers to the Lord Jesus and his role as our advocate in heaven. So as we put these two verses together, what we learn is Jesus is our paraclete in heaven. The Holy Spirit is our paraclete on earth. That is why Jesus, back in John 14 and verse 16, describes him as another helper, another paraclete. Go back to John 14 for just a moment. And this is very important for us to see this. In the Greek language, there are two words for another. There's the word "alos," which denotes another of the same sort. And there's the word heteros, which expresses another of a different sort. Now, this is, by the way, why we believe in verbal inspiration. Because we believe the precise words of Scripture convey to us the precise meaning that God wanted us to have. And here Jesus says... The spirit that I'm sending to you, the paraclete, he is not a heteros paraclete, another of a different kind. He is an alos paraclete, another of the same kind. Christ is promising that he will send another like himself, not different than himself. So the another here refers to another of the same kind, not another of a different kind. Brothers and sisters, do you see an insight here that we believe very passionately here at Bethel Baptist Church? The only way this could be true is if the Holy Spirit is God just like Jesus is God. Are you following me here this morning? The only way this could be true is if the Holy Spirit is God, just like Jesus is God. Now you will notice in this chapter that Jesus began by talking about the Father in verse 2. Then in verse 10, he began to talk about his relationship as the Son to the Father. Now we come down to verse 16, and he talks about the Holy Spirit. It is very, very clear, obviously clear, that all three are distinct. Yet what we see that Jesus is talking about is they are all co equal, they are co eternal, and they are of the very same nature. Now can you imagine how encouraging this was to the disciples? They had Jesus with them and he was God. But he was going to be leaving them and going back to heaven. That was very discouraging as they heard him explain that. But now he says, the one that I am sending to you... He is God Himself, so that you need to understand you're not going to miss anything. In fact, listen to this. To have the Holy Spirit is the same as though Jesus were physically present with us. That's what He's saying. He is fully adequate for all the needs of our spiritual life because as Jesus goes back to heaven and is at the right hand of the Father where he is the paraclete who prays on our behalf and maintains our salvation, so one who is exactly like him in his nature, his attributes, and his power is with us so that he is fully adequate for all the needs of of our spiritual life. I know it's a little early because uh, Petro is not usually here at this hour, but the rest of us are. That ought to be a... That ought to be a... That ought to be an amen, brothers and sisters. Now, the disciples do not fully understand all this. But we do. We do. Third truth. The Holy Spirit is a permanent indweller. The last sentence in verse 17 makes an amazing promise. Look at what Jesus said. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Now the preposition there, dwells with you, actually is a word that means beside you. Since Jesus was uh, fully filled with the Holy Spirit, as long as he was with the disciples, the Holy Spirit was beside them. You may remember that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says when He began His ministry, He came in the power and in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus is saying to His disciples is, as long as I was with you, because I am fully filled with the Holy Spirit, you have had the Holy Spirit beside you. But once Jesus was leaving, a new relationship would begin. He now says, the Holy Spirit will be in you. Now, we could put it this way. The same Spirit that was beside them would now be inside them. That's what Jesus is saying. The same spirit that has been beside you, because I am with you, and I am filled with the Holy Spirit, when I leave, that Spirit will now be inside of you. By the way, did you notice that this indwelling is forever? It's, in, it's permanent. In verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, that he will be with you how long? forever, forever. Brothers and sisters, the Bible knows of no such thing as a temporary indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not come and go and come and go and come and go. It is a permanent indwelling. Think about this. If we could lose our salvation and then be saved again... Lose our salvation and then be saved again. Lose our salvation and then be saved again. The Holy Spirit would come and go, come and go, come and go, come and go, right? But Jesus says, He will be inside of you and it is a permanent forever thing. I like what one Bible teacher has said, there will be no orphans in the family of God, no abandoned people with no place to turn. The Holy Spirit will be a constant presence of Jesus with all believers. How wonderful that is. I was reading this week a Bible teacher by the name of Gerald Borchett. He said when he was a high school student, he encountered a professional football player. Uh, Let me just warn you today, do not get your theology from professional football players, okay? Probably not where you want to go. This professional football player uh, took them to this passage, and he said to him and his brother, you have the Holy Spirit with you. But now, what you need is to experience the Spirit of God in you. And he said to uh, Professor Borchert, on the basis of this verse in John 14:17, you need a greater work of the Holy Spirit. You need more of the Spirit than you got at salvation. That's some of the confusion that Dr. Rodmacher was talking about. I want you to notice this passage says, We all receive the Spirit in His entirety so that nothing more is needed. He was beside you to the disciples. Now He will be inside of you, all of Him, in His fullness, in all believers. Once you become a true believer in Jesus Christ, and we all know there are many false believers, it is a permanent indwelling. Look at the fourth lesson. The Holy Spirit is a divine enabler. A divine enabler. When Jesus says, I'm going to send you another paraclete, I'm the paraclete in heaven, interceding on behalf of the Father that maintains your salvation. Now I'm going to send another paraclete. He's going to indwell you forever. He is just like me. He is God. He is a person. You're going to relate to him as a loving, guiding, leading person. It's very difficult to translate this word. In fact, today, uh, with the versions that we have, if I were to say, read your translation, we would probably have a number of different words. Some of us have the word comforter. Others have the word counselor. Others have the word advocate. If you read the Amplified Bible, they have the word strengthener. I'm reading the English Standard Version. It is the word helper. Helper. Do you know what I like? None of the above. I like the word enabler. Enabler. And the reason I like that word is because it comes closest to the meaning of the Greek word. Let me give you the Greek word for a helper here, pericle. It means Called to, one Called to one's side. Called to one side. Called to one's aid, or the capability of giving aid. That's the meaning of the word. Now, I think these other words can be very great words, and I think helper is a great word here in the English Standard Version, but I think another word that is very close to that is the word enabler. Now, let me just share with you, I love this poster, and you're probably not going to be able to see all of it. You can see most of it um, this morning. That puts the Greek word right in the middle. That's the word Jesus used, parakletos. And it shows how the Holy Spirit enables us. Notice the various ways that it's translated. Advocate, helper, mediator, intercessor. A lot of different ways it can be translated. But here's the things that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do when he came to enable us. Look at the things he said. We're going to look at these as we look through the rest of the Upper Room Discourse. He would declare things to come. He would guide us into all truth. He would teach us everything. He would glorify Christ. He would prove the world wrong of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He would remind us of all that Jesus said. But let me take you one step further. Let me whet your appetite for part two of this message that we will come to at another time. Because in verses 18 through 24... What Jesus does is he begins to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit as our enabler and what he does for us as we have experienced his work in our hearts and our lives. Let me replace what I have with the screen here with the things that Jesus says. By the way, I don't normally give you the main points to the next message, but you've got them now, okay? I'm kind of glad that uh, we're having problems today with our PowerPoint projection. You can't see it all. That'll give you incentive to come in a couple weeks as we look through this. But I want you to notice what Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do. Notice he will impart Jesus' resurrection life to us. Look at verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Jesus is talking there about resurrection life, and only the Holy Spirit can impart that. Look at verse 21. He sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts, or verse 20, Uh, look at verse 20. He testifies that we belong to the Father and the Son. Look at verse 20. In that day... You will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. One of the ways that we know that we are Christians is the Bible says, the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And so he brings assurance of our salvation, that he not only lives within us, but that we are related to both Father and Son. Look at verse 21. He sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So the very love that Jesus calls from us and the obedience that follows us is worked within us, not on our own, but by the Holy Spirit. Notice he also enables an ever-increasing intimacy with father and son. Look at the second part of verse 21. He who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Drop down to verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. What Jesus is describing is a growing intimacy with the Father and the Son enabled by the Holy Spirit. And then notice the last thing he will do, verse 24. He distinguishes us from the non-believing world. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. brothers and sisters, I want you to think about this this morning. The disciples would experience more after Jesus left them than what they experienced when he was with them. Let me let that sink in for a moment. We often think, oh, if I could only have been one of the eleven and had walked with Jesus while he was on earth, how much greater my experience with God would be. But now notice this. And it is clear that Jesus is saying to the disciples, they will experience more after Jesus has left than they did while he was with them. And think of this. We experience more in our Christian life now than they did when Jesus walked with them on earth. Does that blow your mind as it did mine this week? When I realized it for the first time. We experience more in terms of our Christian experience. Now. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And all that Jesus says he came to do. Than the disciples experienced. When Jesus walked with them. What a mind-blowing thing that is. One of my favorite images of the Holy Spirit came from A.J. Gordon, who founded Gordon College, Christian College in Boston. He said one day he saw a man pumping a well next to a house off in the distance and as he watched this man was just pumping vigorously pumping, 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 pumping and as he watched he thought why isn't he getting tired when's he going to stop and he didn't stop and so Pastor Gordon said, I'm going to go check this thing out. So he walked and got closer and closer and closer. And the closer he got, he discovered it wasn't a man at all. It was a woodcut figure that looked like a man. Had a crook at the arm and the hand was wired to the handle of the pump. And then he discovered it wasn't a regular well, but it was an artesian well. And the woodcut figure wasn't pumping the well at all, the well was pumping the woodcut figure. Dr. Gordon said, that's what we have in the Holy Spirit. It's not our efforts working for God. It's the Holy Spirit's efforts working in us. And what we have to do is keep our hand on the handle. You see, it's not our efforts working for God. If I didn't believe the Holy Spirit was present today and that He could take this book and do something very special, I would not dare enter this pulpit. I've worked hard on this message, but if it were not for the Holy Spirit, it would be all in vain. It's not our efforts working for God. It's the Holy Spirit's efforts working in us. What we have to do is keep our hand on the hand. Let's thank the Lord, shall we? Just before I pray and we will sing a song and move on to our wonderful Christmas program. I wonder today if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. If I were to ask you a simple question as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and that question was, Does the Holy Spirit live within you? How would you answer? Would you be able to say, Yes, Pastor, He witnesses with my spirit that I am indeed a child of God? He has brought resurrection life to my heart so that I know. I used to be something, now I'm different. He has created within me a a love for the Father so that I want to do the things that please the Father. I'm not always successful, but I want to please the Father. He has caused a growing intimacy between me and the Father and the Son so that I know Him better than I did when I was first saved. And I know that I'm different from the world. When I gather at the cooler and the conversation is so worldly and often so sinful, so empty, so caught up with just the things of this world, and I'm there, I know I'm different. I have been distinguished from those around me by the presence of the Holy Spirit and all that He has done to change me. Listen, if you cannot affirm those things, then Jesus is saying to you today, come to me. Come now. Come to me and... And turn from your own way and turn from your sins and come to me. Come to the foot of the cross. I died for you. I rose again for you. I paid for all your sins. I will send the Spirit of God into your life to bring you new life and to change you. And I will help you to be what you could never have been by yourself. And if you long for that today... If that's what you desire in the deepest part of your heart, that is an indication the Spirit of God is already speaking to you. Please listen to His voice. Please today do not turn your heart away from Him and harden yourself towards Him. In your own thoughts today, cast yourself on the mercy of Jesus and say, Oh God, save me a sinner for Jesus' sake. I repent. I invite you into my heart and life. Cleanse me, forgive me, make me a child of God. Transform me. As only you can. By faith coming to Him, say, Thank you, Lord Jesus, right now for saving me. Blessed Lord, we hear your voice today, and we rejoice in what you've done for us. I pray that you would save souls today. I pray that you would clear up confusion in our minds. I pray that you would stir our hearts to love you and live for you more because of this wonderful gift that is ours. ours—Paraclete, the helper, the enabler, the Spirit of God. For Jesus' sake we pray.